Hi, this is Timothy Zahn, author of Star Wars Thrawn. You're listening to Living Force Podcast. Welcome to the Living Force Podcast. I'm a visitor to your world. A Utini Podcast Network production. And I would like to keep it that way. Episode 116, Thrawn Ascendancy Greater Good Roundtable Part 2. Every ship they add to their arsenal increases the threat to our own mother and the Emperor's plans. On this episode of Legends Essentials Update, I study the art of war. The High Republic Wave 2 Preview. Well, to perfect it. And the Utini crew talks about the latest book from Timothy Zahn, Thrawn Ascendancy Greater Good. They'll be the architects of their own destruction. And now, here are your hosts. May I introduce... Eric Eilerson, Dr. Charles Henkel, Wes Jenkins, and guest host Emma Park. Hello, hello! Welcome everyone to the Living Force, a Utini Network podcast. I am one of your hosts tonight, Eric Eilerson, and joining me for our part two of our Thrawn Ascendancy Greater Good Runes Table are three of the greatest folks in the world. We have Dr. Charles Henkel joining us. Hey, buddy. What's up, everybody? How's it going? It's going well. You got that nice red light behind you. It's very, very thematic. I do, yeah. I'm trying to trying to match that book that's right up there that we might talk about for a couple minutes. I dig it. I really like it. Um, I also like how glorious the light shining off of the face of Wes Jenkins is tonight. Look at that. Look at that. Yes. In my freshly sunburned yeah! face. Yeah! <laughs> it was a crispy 97 degrees when I got off the softball field yesterday at 1 o'clock. <laughs> and then when I got in my truck leaving work today, it was 101. So no. go Texas. Yeah. Plus, your face also matches the cover of the book that we're going to talk about. That's right. As it does. If, if any of y'all missed our bounty hunt on Sunday, we coined the phrase, the meekend, which is Wes's me weekend that he had. So... I'm glad you had a good time on your meekend. Someone else had a great time on their meekend with their first round of golf of the year, at least, is the awesome, fantastic Emma Park. Hello, everybody. Yes, I did go golfing for the first time this weekend. It wasn't as hot as Texas, but it was pretty hot for Maine. It was like 80. Um, But I'm just glad I don't live in Texas. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Speaking of, ERCOT, our uh, energy grid people, told us that we have to cut back on our energy uh, for this week because everybody's using it because it's so damn hot. Hey, wh- so, what's the worst that could happen if, only- if a lot of Texas energy goes wrong, right? <laughs> not only when it gets cold, but when it gets hot, the damn Texas grid will explode. So that's fun. Well, luckily, if it blows, Wes, <laughs> you got uh, I know you don't have the rising storm yet. I was going to say that'd be perfect timing. <laughs> but anyway, hi everyone. Hi to these folks that are dealing with various levels of heat. Hi to everyone in the chat. We're happy to see you tonight. As I said at the top of the show, this is our part two of Thrawn Ascendancy Greater Good, the roundtable experience. If you missed last week's episode, go ahead, pause this now, go back, listen to our character deep dives we did. Today we're going to finish up talking about some villains and of course the overarching question and Charles's Easter eggs, always a fan favorite. But before we do that, just a little bit of news we want to talk about. First of all, I want to give a huge shout out to the rest of our Utini team, our Utimi, if you will, especially Emma, on the Shadows of the Empire crossover event from last week. That was awesome. Yeah. Man, we had so much fun with that. It was 
it was a lot of talk about Shadows of the Empire, like for sure. I, I think I'd be fine not talking about it for a while. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, it was it was fun. It was a fun crossover with just so many so many moving pieces here. We've got yeah. YouTube videos, guides, uh, Star Wars archives, the Cosmic Force, Legends Look Back. It was just Utini game nights. It was insane, and and I'm so happy we did it. It was a ton of fun. Yeah, and, and if you missed any of that, folks, it's all on the YouTube channel right now. Actually, the Legends Look Back episode about the novel, the Cosmic Force episode about the comic, the Game Night episode where Andrew and Jared played Shadows of the Empire, and, of course, the Star Wars Archives episode with Jose and Trevor that got released as a video for like the first time ever on Sunday where they went into all the deep, 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 Trevor-level deep Easter eggs. <laughs> so if you didn't get enough Shadows of the Empire last week, Throw out on the soundtrack that's on Spotify and dive back into that. Congrats, everyone. Uh, maybe we'll do another big crossover. That was super fun. It took a lot of planning, so it's not going to be a lot. But I'm glad <laughs> we did it. Uh, another thing I want to talk about, speaking of Legends, is I want to give a thank you to our friends over at Del Rey because I got a package today I didn't expect. Yeah. I got these bad boys. This week, the Legends Essentials release look at these these new paperbacks yeah those are so cool um yeah we talked about these a while back but they're finally coming out tomorrow i believe wherever books are sold we got shatterpoint by matthew stover we got heir to the empire by mr zahn himself and of course we got darth bane path of destruction finally has a good cover it only took us like <laughs> 20 cover. years that looks like it could be like the cover to an edgar Allan poe Poetry collection, man. That is some dark stuff. <laughs> yeah. The cover art is incredible, and these the sizes of these are pretty good. Um, Emma, you were saying this is like your favorite size of book before we uh, went live, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, the heart, or the paperbacks that are currently, I think they're called mass market paperbacks. Mass market paperbacks, They're yeah. just too small. I don't know. There's something about holding it in your hand i need it to be a little wider that's why i like hard covers but yeah this size is like really i think it's perfect yeah and they got some solid new art and in the back of at least bane and thrawn you get prologues which are the first chapter or so of the next book in the, in the trilogy so uh all, these might also be really great if you have friends that you want to like loan out these books to it's a nice a solid paperback you don't get to give lend out that hardcover because don't lend out your hardcovers what are we doing here uh, oh, and of course, in the <laughs> chat, they did point out Shatterpoint is also getting an unabridged audiobook that comes out on Audible tomorrow. So check that out. Um, thank you hmm. again for sending those our way. I can't wait to like, dive back into these and bring them to work because on my breaks, I like to read, but I don't like bringing the hardcovers in the backpack because the, the cover, my Ahsoka dust jacket is a little ripped and it's like that's hard to get now. So uh, can't wait. Pick those up tomorrow again wherever books are sold. But if you want to. Use that sweet, sweet Utini affiliate link. You know you want to help us get that 3% on Amazon? Because you love us. That sweet, sweet Utini affiliate link. All right, clip that audio. <laughs> use it all the time. Uh, two other things we wanted to bring up. Uh, coming up in two weeks from tonight, actually, is an event, a virtual launch event that Barnes & Noble is putting on celebrating the second wave of the high, or second wave, first phase still, of the High Republic. West. you want to throw up that graphic? Uh, they're going to have a f completely free virtual event featuring Kevin Scott, Daniel Jose Older, Justina Ireland, Charles Soule, and Claudia Gray. 
all in talking about the higher public now all of their projects in the first wave have come out they can talk freely and they're going to preview a little bit of what's coming up the next day right with rising storm and race to crash point tower and of course with mm-hmm. justina ireland's out of the shadows coming out next week this is a free event but you do have to register for it and luckily for you it's at 6 p.m eastern that's two hours before the living force so you can do both <laughs> everyone we don't have to choose <laughs> They always do them at the exact same time as our show, and I get why, but I'm really glad they're not this time. So, go on. Um, d- yeah, they're they're afraid of the competition. Yeah, that's what it is? They put the fear in them. They have to try to. They're trying to push us out. We know what's going on. Barnes and Noble, <laughs> you know, this little indie bookstore. <laughs> Come on. Uh, go on Del Rey's Twitter account. Uh, they have all the information there. Super easy. I registered. It's like two clicks, right? Um, so we hope to see you there. You can submit questions that you want them to answer. So maybe they'll do that. And again, any time that all the Luminous crew gets together, it's just the best, isn't it? Like, they seem like they're such good friends. Yeah, they totally do. I love it. I love them. Love the higher public, as evident by the Rising Storm, two weeks from tonight. Uh, Last thing I want to talk about tonight is a little bit of a weird thing that I never really like to talk about. And that's, like, my personal life. Because (laughs) this weekend, I think Wes and I might have talked about this last week. At least we did unofficially on air, off air, that we were doing a cable management weekend. And so, so we did this weekend, in addition to Wes's softball, I, uh, I did all my cable management for my desk setup. I put up shelves finally, and I put up my lightsabers. And I took a picture of it, and I put it on Twitter. And for some reason, seeing all my lightsabers on my wall is the most viral tweet I've ever had. A lot of uh, Spanish-speaking Star Wars fans have picked it up. Um, so I just want to say thank you to everyone that's liked my desks and like my lightsabers and to those of you who are now arguing in the comments on my tweet about why ray isn't a skywalker shut up um <laughs> but that's how i know it got far uh so if any of you didn't see i'm gonna take one moment of vanity that i'm very proud of wes if you could throw this it. up this is my this is what i, I look at it. now as i do the living force it's perfect this is my setup so good. This is such a Star Wars flex, which I <laughs> vote like that we refer f- to as a Dex. A Dex! <laughs> Hello, Dex. The flexiest. Absolutely. I mean, look at look at your setup, your sweet cube computer. I've always wanted a case that's a cube like it's that. It's so useful. And then, I thought I was going to hate it. Everything is so well done. It's so well like positioned, and then it's all like straight un- and like uniform, unlike Corey's Two posters that he has on the right side of his wall well, where he hangs his guitar. And I got to give props for props for dude. Charlie helped me put all this stuff up. She has an eye for, like, even stuff. I'm very bad at, like, eyeballing anything. But we also got a laser level. So everything worked yeah. out. Again, thank you to everyone. And, hey, if you want to know how I hung up my lightsabers, go on my Twitter. I put the Etsy link all over the place. This, they're, like, $6 a piece. They're super great. Support Etsy artists that are trying to help out Star Wars fans. Jacob asked in the chat if the desk was worth it. As of now, it is. I figured out to make it work for myself. I have no cables going under it. It's all in the cable management tray. It's all Velcro strapped together. (sighs) I'm very happy. All right. Enough vanity for myself. Let's go to Vanity for Utini, which is our Patreon updates. Uh, We want to say thank you to Duncan McWennell and Adrian. Uh, who, one, upgraded to a yearly subscription, and then, two, raised a tier level in Patreon. Thank you. Just thank you so much for that. Uh, it means you like what we're doing and you like what we're putting out, and you want to help support it and help the site keep going, help the podcast continue to grow. We so, so appreciate that. And one more reminder to you and to ourselves, 
that our trivia night <laughs> is coming. We are going to be planning it. <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, this weekend or next, while Corey's on night shift, we try to bother him as little as possible with like planning things because it seems terrible. Night shift just seems awful. <laughs> so we want him in the best state of mind possible to get super inebriated and then do Star Wars trivia. So yes. stay tuned. Um, again, any suggestions you have, tweet them at us. Throw them in any Discord channel at any of us on the show. We will take them. We will do them. We can't wait to see you for our, another incredibly memorable, at least for the people watching, uh, night of Utini Patreon. All right. With all that being said, there's no weekly roundup because it's a roundtable. There's no book reviews because it's a roundtable. But keep those reviews coming on utini.com. Make sure you get those star ratings. Next week, we'll bring back the reviews. Tell us what you thought of Greater Good or any other book. Whoo! All right, Charles, I kept it under 10 minutes. No, dang it, 13 minutes. All right, Charles, tell us about Thrawn. Let's do it. Answer questions. Let's do it. All right, so let's jump back into the roundtable. If y'all remember last week, we talked about the characters. And we really mostly got through the protagonists, so this week we are going to pick up with the villains. And I got to start with Hapliff of the Agbui. Okay, First of all, ew, <laughs> right? <laughs> like the very first thing that we have to do, if we're going to really dive into this character, is we have to talk about his physical description. And the very first full physical description for this character is from page 56. <laughs> and it's talking about just Agbui in general. All right, and the quote says this. Their facial skin was a mess of dark red and off-white folds, the mix of the two colors seemingly at random. Their mouths were (laughs) lipless slits tucked away amidst the folds. Their eyes were black and yet somehow bright and clear. So did this species gross y'all out as much as it did me? Yeah. uh, I couldn't really picture it. I, uh, no, I, I can picture it after we talked about it a, a couple weeks ago, how we said that there's like that happily for the egg buoy is like a uh, an Arby's roast beef sandwich <laughs> layered on top of a layer <laughs> with <laughs> without the buns. Correct. Without the buns. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be honest. It was it was also a bit hard for me to picture like because I I'm I'm getting spoiled by like the higher public art and stuff and all these things that I'm like I'm getting all these visual things that my brain is forgetting how to make pictures in my own head sometimes and i'm like yeah i don't know a new species and then we never named like the ag buoy okay i don't know it's not a, it's not on the wook so ah, like star wars is hard for me yeah. in that way I'm i just bad i just yeah. don't like that they can touch people's faces and figure out what they're thinking i i just yes. i just don't like that it's creepy it's disgusting right? don't yeah. like that <laughs> <laughs> it's I, I kind of think of them as like one of those deep sea fish that's never meant to see the light of day and then James Cameron goes down there in a submarine and we have to see it on the big that's screen. Hilarious. So oh like the one with the light that hangs above its head. Yes, yes. exactly. Those are Agbui. <laughs> All right, um, done. <laughs> well, so we first meet Hapliff early on uh in this book when he's inspecting the last planet that kind of fell to his machinations. It was on page sixteen and seventeen. And we get this quote, now that Jixus mentioned it, there was indeed subtle signs of the global destruction down there. The clouds on the sunlit side, which would be glistening white on an untouched world, were here laced with gray and black from the fire and blast debris thrown up from the vicious civil war that he and his team had engineered. On the night side, the clusters of city lights that had once shone cheerfully in the darkness had all but vanished. Hapliff smiled to himself. The near total destruction of an entire world, and it all—it had all been accomplished in barely six months. Six months. Yes, he was that good. All right, so we immediately knew that Hapleaf was 
dangerous. Okay, message received. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you mm-hmm. like the addition of Hapliff in this story uh, as like an agent of Jixtus, or were you coming in hoping and expecting to see Jixtus in action? Ooh, I I really liked him as a like as an agent of the evil overlord, if you if you will. Um, that's one of the reasons why I rated this book so a lot higher than uh, than I originally intended was because I liked I liked the espionage fact that that uh, that Hapleaf kind of came in there and was trying to overthrow. While if the audiobook, he sounds like a. He sounds like a like a granddad. When yeah, he's talking to these people. totally. <laughs> he sounds like he's like, oh, hello, are you okay? I am happily. That <laughs> 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 sounds like an <laughs> SNL character. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, that was, <laughs> So that's yeah. I I really liked him being in, uh, instead of Jixus. I think we should get the big the big uh, battle with Jixus or him revealing himself in the in the last book. I mean, Jigstus yeah. doesn't really seem like the type of person to do his own dirty work. So in that case, I'm glad yeah. that we got Hapleaf. I, when you're reading that quote, Charles, I totally forgot about this because it was so early on in the book. But I can't believe that they mentioned that he, had, he and his team had caused a civil war on another planet. And that was really foreshadowing the end of this book. Like when you were reading yeah. that, I was right. like, oh, my gosh, mind blown. <laughs> yeah, I totally forgot about that as well. And uh, I just want to point out so we don't forget it. And I want to read the comment word for word, but, because we're going to talk about it at the end, but Stephanie Mack, if you're watching us live, just put out a great point in, in the chat, and I'm just going to leave it there, uh, but we are going to come <laughs> back to that. But I, I, I agree, I, lo- I thought Happily was fascinating. I thought that it was a really cool mm-hmm. villain. After you have the Benevolent, who we agreed was such a great character, um, for Thrawn, someone that was actually finally as smart as Thrawn, I thought Happily was also very... Um, competent, but totally different than Yiv. And I really enjoyed that. And, oh my god, the sinister, chaotic nature of Hapleaf. Like, when he was like, oh, well, well, I'm going to shoot you out of an airlock, I guess. Oopsie. Like, yes. just, like, the dude, he's a serial killer. Very much flipped yeah. on a dime. And I do agree, though, I, I wanted more of Jixtus, but not in a way that I think that should have happened. I love the idea that in book one, you fight a lieutenant. And in book two, you fight a lieutenant. And then in, like, every video game boss battle, book three, the third round, all right, now the general comes out. You know, I think it's it works out very well. And, like, the chat is saying right now, he wouldn't have done um, he wouldn't have done his own dirty work this early. And the fact that it's a trilogy really just sets on up for that big confrontation in Lesser Evil later this year. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Well, you know, despite their looks, these aliens had some other off-putting qualities as well. And on page 162, the farmer, Lagfro, states, They're so damn touchy. They want to touch you all the time. Lagfro said, an unpleasant shiver running through him. That haplift, mostly. I'm trying to explain our contour bunding on our hillside plots, and he's trying to touch my hair or the back of my neck or someplace. It's creepy. And so, Emma, you just brought this up. It really is creepy. And as readers, we knew that Hapliff had these telepathic abilities, and so he, he needed to touch you know, other people to read into their emotions. But despite that, uh, did you find their overall touchiness just uncomfortable to read? Yeah, 100%, mostly because it made the, <laughs> the other characters uncomfortable. So I feel like that makes us uncomfortable as well. Just and And when you think about it, 
we wouldn't like somebody constantly touching us, like somebody that we barely know. Uh, Happily barely knew Lacro and his family, yet he was being like super touchy with them. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, it, it was super uncomfortable and definitely grossed me out. And I, I feel like when I think about Happily from the Agbui, I kind of think more about their touchiness more than their creepy looks. Yeah. Her- quick PSA from your, your friends, the Living Forest and Utini. <laughs> We're all going to be going out to bars again soon. That's great. The world is opening up again. Mike Dudes, remember how creepy it was when Hapleaf would just touch people he didn't know? Maybe we take that and just remember it when we're out in the world at bars around people we don't know that probably don't want to be touched. Feels like a good idea. Also, celebration maybe. Let's hug, but maybe... Not as much touching. You raise That's a it. good point. You raise a good point. <laughs> and idea. I'm curious. I think, do you think that this villain and his touchiness, uh, was it made even creepier by the fact that this book came out amidst the pandemic when we're not supposed to be t- Like, they did not social distance at all. <laughs> at all. Like, did that make it worse, do you think? Yeah, I think we're all a little bit more we're a little bit more sensitive to touching and germs and, yeah. and, and things along those lines. So like reading that of a person coming just touching the back of your neck is creepy in general, right? Even <laughs> doing it to yourself. Oh, God. And so yeah, I think uh and like you were saying, Eric, like if you go if you're going to the bars with your friends, just like don't be a happily and then have <laughs> your friends say that to you. Dude, you're being a happily like, hey, stop if, if you're getting too close, you're like like, he's like, oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot. Dude. I shouldn't be, I shouldn't I mean, be happily. I love that. We talked, God, how many episodes ago? Uh, we talked about something where, like, writers are products of their time, right? No matter their age, whenever, whenever a book comes out and you're writing, it's impossible to escape the world in which you are writing. So, I mean, I'm not saying that Zahn wrote, like, a quarantine book. He obviously wrote this, I think, probably before the pandemic was in full swing. But still, the idea of touching was was really creepy the absence of consent is like these are things that are in the zeitgeist and i think to to make that not preachy at all but just legit creepy it's like yeah maybe wouldn't have been as creepy if it would have been written during like i don't know splinter of the mind's eye when nothing was creepy apparently (laughs) um (laughs) you know it's just a little different or even like shadows of the empire (laughs) yeah yeah but you know I think, interestingly, we talked about how the Agbui, they need to touch you to, to kind of read into your mind. But they're not exactly reading your mind or your thoughts, right? They're, yeah. they're kind of reading your emotions your and vibe, what was man. referred to in this book as your life craving, right? Oof. And so I'm curious, did y'all appreciate a villain with that kind of inability, someone who operated with nuance and cleverness and subtlety as opposed to you have the benevolent who will just hit you over the head with a hammer. Yeah, I mean, I I think it was really cool to get a more a more Thrawn-like villain, someone that uses mm-hmm. more of their brain than their brawn, um, even yeah. if it's through a really creepy power because life cravings, that's a disgusting way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> what a phrase what a phrase Zahn. there's no tiptoeing around yeah. that phrase right <laughs> yeah and i think like to bring back the civil war point that we talked about earlier and i know we'll talk about later like 
it's a great way for Zahn to write because what what causes war? What causes giant conflicts? It's whispers. It's nudges. It's it's really small moves here and there. It's not a guy coming in being like, I am going to conquer. It's like little people in the shadows being like, see how he's looking at you? Don't you want to do that? And like, it seems like the ag boo, you're like, cool, six months, bam, we can do that because we just nudge and nudge and nudge and nudge. And it's and it's very Thrawn esque as as you know as far as Thrawn as we know him later in the Empire. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it is a good match for Thrawn's abilities, I think. Um, but Haplif, he wasn't just a gross dude caressing your cheek on page two seventy one. Wait, there's more. Uh, there's more. <laughs> yeah, and Eric, you brought this up earlier, but on page two seventy one, we we have this quote here. Six hours later, when Haplif was sure Yopanek was fast asleep in his room. He had the ship leave hyperspace just long enough to release Yomi's body into the vast emptiness of space. And then later on page mm-hmm. 365, mm-hmm. when Hapleaf and Lakfro have their final standoff, we have this quote here. And with that, Hapleaf realized he was going to have to kill him. He'd hoped to avoid any more killing, not for any moral reasons, but because it was such an unpleasant feeling to wrap his fingers around someone's throat and feel their fear and hopelessness as he drained the life from them. On the other hand, he'd never really liked Lagfro. This killing he might actually enjoy. And it's just so casual, right? The way that he talks yeah. about taking the life of another person and, Cold and how blooded. personal it is. No. Yeah, it just I mean <clears throat> to think to think that he is feeling all those emotions if he's killing someone with his hands. I mean, it's just so so dude. dark. Dude is is dude is Trey Young in a playoff game, just ice oh in the veins, cold blooded villain. I never really thought about that. So it's like a it's like a double killing. He can definitely feel it when he's touching yeah. him, and then he's actually killing him by squeezing the life out of him. That's yeah. that's a good way to. I never even thought of like that. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think I know the answer, but uh, last question about Hapliff. Is he an effective villain for y'all in this book? Did you fear him as an adversary of the Chiss? Yeah, I I did for sure. And I think the reason why is because he seems unsuspecting. You know, he he comes in and he's like, oh, have some of my jewelry. And you don't expect him to, you know, want to kill you. And clearly he has no morals because he didn't want to not kill someone for moral reasons, and that's disturbing. So I think some of the scariest villains are villains that you don't suspect. Uh, Villains that are kind of lurking under the shadows. And the fact that, that he could easily sneak into a society and just kill people without them even having a clue is probably one of the most terrifying things about a villain for me. Yeah, I got nothing to add. Right. That's exactly it. Yeah. Yep. I've, it's terrifying. It's like serial killers do yeah. the same. Mm-hmm. They kind of turn into your friend or they want you to feel comfortable. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 And like the only person who actually was questionable about Hapleaf was Lackfro. Yeah. And, he, and everybody else like was Buying into his game, the Lacro is like, "There's something about this hap leaf of the Ag Bowie, hap leaf of the Arby's roast beef." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Emma, yeah. <laughs> Emma, to put your words into a phrase that we have here in the Carolinas, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't. 
<laughs> right? Right. And uh, no one knows any of the devils in this book. That's right. Uh, That's they right. Don't, they don't That's know true. about Half and they certainly don't know about Jixtus, who we're going to talk about next. The mystery man himself, the one who calls the shots from behind the curtain. And, you know, after those gross quotes about Hapleaf's roast beef-like appearance, let's cleanse our palates with what we uh, what yeah. we know about Jixtus's appearance. Because we got a little bit more than we did uh, in Chaos Rising. On page 16, he's described as a veiled being with an exotic voice, a strange mixture of, mixture of rasping and melodic wrapped up inside an obscure accent. And then Hapliff thinks to himself, he'd never seen Jixtus without his cloak and hood, his gloves concealing his hands, his black veil covering his face. He had no idea what the creature looked like. And then just a few pages later, Hapliff again says, with the obscuring cloak, hood, and veil hiding all the usual cues of face and eyes, Jixtus could be nearly anyone from virtually any bipedal species. For that matter, for all the evidence of Hapleaf's eyes and ears, he might be sitting next to one of the demons from Agbui myth he'd so often been threatened with as a child. So I'm curious what your thoughts were on this. Now, we're going to get around to what's underneath all of the the cloak and the hood and all of that, but he's kind of like the emperor with even more coverings, <coughs> isn't he? Yeah. yeah it's like a, like so a the leper. First thing that, <laughs> the first thing that I thought about... <laughs> Was Doctor Claw from Inspector Gadget? Uh, you yeah. never, great, you great. never see him. <laughs> Good. but one arm and the fat cat. But that doesn't really—that's <laughs> Hapleaf, I guess. Wow, <laughs> but yeah, you never see who it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I dug it. I mean, I think that. I mean, the 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 villain who's cloaked till the end, turn around is the most. Yeah. There's no trope older, right? I mean. It was great. I'm glad that, I mean, Thanos and the Avengers, you got the turn, and you got the Emperor, his Palpatine, like, all these guys. It was good mystery, but, I mean, the, the reveal, which, I don't know. The reveal is so much. Yeah. It's it so epitomizes well, this character. Well, let, let, let's just talk about it. Let's just get it out there, right? If you're listening to this and you don't know the reveal yet, we're, we're going to take you there now. So, why all the secrecy? Why the hood? Why the veil? Why the gloves? Well, on page 404, we get our answer when Jixtus says, The Grisks lay blame only where it's deserved and only on those who fail us. Each of our servants is responsible solely for his own decisions and actions, not for another's. Yes, sir, Kalori said, feeling his winglets and his tension subsiding. Grisks? He'd never heard of a species by that name, or a faction, if that's what they were, or a combine, or a gang, or something else entirely. A name by itself really didn't contain much information, but at least now he had a name to put to the manipulators behind all this. So... The Grisk! The Grisk! Eric is in the far, far background of his camera, flailing. Uh, that's right, guys. Jixtus is a Gritskis. That's what I'm going to refer to Oh, my as. God. The, the, the Slack message Charles sent to me. After yes. this happened, oh my god! I I sent the uh, I sent the Regina George meme. Stop trying to make grisks happen. Um, <laughs> oh man! But I, tell me, I, y'all. Re, re, sorry. Oh my god! Reading this. Yeah, go. People wonder what it's like getting review copies of books, and you know what? It's great. But when you are the one person you know that finds out this turn, and no one else has finished it yet. <laughs> It is madness. 
Okay, yeah. go ahead, Charles. Yeah. Well, awesome. well, well, well tell it? me what what are your actual thoughts and feelings on this? So, so Jixtus is a grisk. Now, now in case you guys are first coming to Thrawn in this trilogy, that might not mean a lot to you. And I think Wes, you and I like talked Wes, behind the scenes. Yeah. yeah, you're raising your hand. You did not read uh, all of the previous Thrawn books, so. If you have, you know who the Grisks are. You've seen them in action. You've seen Thrawn fight with them. So it almost seems like a dove course. Of course, right? We have to introduce the Grisks <laughs> before they come up then. But it really wasn't a, a done deal. What were y'all's thoughts when it was revealed? Like, Wes, Ugh. what did you think about hearing Grisk? And, and then Eric and Emma, if you're more familiar with them, what were your thoughts and feelings? Yeah, so I did not read um, Thrawn Alliances or Thrawn Treason. The other one. Treason. Treason. Yeah. I did not read those two. So I once when I read this part about the Grisks, I was just like Kilori. I did not. <laughs> I've never heard of the species before. <laughs> if it was a faction or whatever, and then Charles had had uh, sent me a message that day was like, how mad were you? How mad were you about the end? And I was like, you mean about Thurfian? <laughs> yeah, that's crazy, right? He was like, no, you fool! The Grisk! And I was like, oh, yeah, the Grisk. That's ah, nuts, oh. right? <laughs> no clue. Not a, not a clue. I was just, it, it could have been anything. It could yeah. have literally been anything, and I'd have, I'd have made the same uh, reaction. So, sorry. I, I, should, I guess I, I, I should have read those Smash those books out in two days too, so I could have had a better reveal. <laughs> I know. Emma, Emma, what'd you think? What'd you think? Yeah, I mean, I was really surprised, and also, I feel like I kind of blacked out when I read it for a second. Like, I was like, <laughs> "Wait, what? Hang on, what?" And then it was like, it was like that gif of that guy, like with the map and the you know craziness and pointing everywhere. Yeah. Huh? Huh? Yeah, huh? Yeah, I felt like that guy. I was like, "Oh my god, this is wild!" But yeah, I mean. Part of me, I'm glad that we got this reveal before the third book because for some reason I honestly thought that uh, uh, Jixus was a Chiss. Um, even though Happily yeah. described him as like a creature, I honestly thought he was going to be a Chiss, but I'm so much happier yeah. that he's a Grisk. I think that's that's a cool twist. Yeah, I think we we even theorized on Chaos Rising that like Jixus might be like Thrawn's sister or something. like, mm. And then... So, so yeah, if you if you all listen to our Thrawn Treason roundtable, which is like early, early living force, right? Oh, what we let, what we lads, we were. Um, we 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 made a joke about calling it like Thrawn Grisk because Zahn <laughs> clearly was just trying to push these characters. He's like Grisk, they're the, they're awful and they're they're the bad guys, and it just it didn't. For some folks, at least, it doesn't. It didn't really gel because. It seemed like the publishers wanted an Empire story, and Zahn's like, yeah, but I like these Grisk guys. So when I read that, I had a, I had a similar reaction to Jacob in the chat. The Did he actually just do this? And also, I had the like, oh, man, you know what? Slow clap. Well done. You did it. Because it, it worked out. It's natural. It makes sense, like you're saying. It's totally obvious now in retrospect. And it, I was just like, you know what, Zahn? You clearly wanted to write this book, and you tried once, and it didn't work out as well. But now, you seeded it in, you finally got them, and now I am actually very ready for them to come full circle and lesser evil to do the book I think he wanted to write with Treason in the first place. So, if we had to get a couple of those books, which again, I'm not a huge fan of, I know some people are, in order to get to this point, 
Totally fine. Totally legit. Um, so back earlier, Stephanie Mack, uh, who's our, our Thrawn expert in the chat right now, she put earlier that the Ag Bowie totally have to be the, the long-fingered creatures who are touching people in Thrawn Treason for the Grisk. And I'm like, oh. I think that totally works. Ooh. It makes me want to go yeah. back and read that, which is also a point I wanted to make that once that reveal happened, it honestly made me want to go back and read Treason. Agreed. So, hmm. very solid. Uh, well done, Zon. You, you pulled yeah. the rug out from under us and you got what you wanted. I applaud you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I liked the reveal more. Um, I, I just like this trilogy more, I think, than I liked uh, than I liked mostly Thrawn Alliances and Treason. I really loved the first canon Thrawn novel. But, um, but yeah, I mean, he's a Grisk. And so we're going to see this kind of all come to a head in the third book here. Yeah. And, you know, what? what is Jixus trying to accomplish then, right? On page 403, he's Relevance. still talking to Kalori. Yeah. <laughs> he's still talking to Kalori, and he says, You are right to be concerned about this Chiss officer, though. I'll be sure to add Senior Captain Thrawn into our calculations in the future. I would definitely recommend that, Kalori said, his cheek winglets twitching. I wish I could offer some hints on how to defeat him. Defeat isn't always necessary, Jixta said. Isolation and neutralization can be equally effective. So Jixtus is probably going to be the orchestrator of Thrawn's exile. Um, Ooh, do you think? Yeah. I didn't think of that. Yeah, right? Because that's how you would isolate him, right? Yeah. You have him exiled. And we know where all this is going yeah. um, to some degree, at least. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, do you think think Jixtus is going to be working with any Chiss to accomplish this? Like maybe a Thurfian who also has it out for Thrawn. Wow, Charles. You just... <laughs> this, this isolation and neutralization can be equally effective. I didn't even put that mm. into <clears throat> what would ha- like happen in the future, what we already know has happened. So, right. Um, yeah, that's interesting having possibly working with Thurfian because Thurfian and as we all know he's not a he's not a fan of Thrawn and even though they're in the same family so that could be that could be a plot twist that that comes about I didn't even think about that yeah I didn't think about that either I I, I'm liking how this trilogy is tying into the first canon trilogy there's a a lot of littler tie-ins or smaller tie-ins I should say and then there's some bigger Mm -hmm. tie-ins like with the Grisk and I, I think, Charles, I think you're going to be totally right on this with the isolation and neutralization where we lead up to the first Thrawn book with his exile on, on that abandoned planet. Um, that is just so sinister and I love it. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely think that they could be working together because it definitely seems like Jixtus's plan is to essentially create a Chiss civil war that threatens to rip apart the ascendancy completely. And I think we could, you know, speculation is something we try to avoid, but I think that there's an idea of, of, of a Palpatine Luke scene where Jixtus is like Thrawn. Look, the ascendancy is about to tear itself apart. You can make it all go away. If you just leave, and if you exile yourself, I will spare your race, you know, or, or something for a while or something like that. I can see, Jixtus, like again, manipulating. He's already almost caused a civil war at the end of this book with not not a lot, you know. Mm, so right. if he uses his full intelligence, his full power by himself, fully mono mono against Thrawn, 
I think using the guy who's been trying to take Thrawn down as a weapon is a very great logical step that, again, like Wes and Emma said, I hadn't even thought about before. Well, tell me what your thoughts are on Jixta's final thoughts. What do you hope to see out of him in Lesser Evil? Where do you think this is going? Yeah, I, I hope that he's... I hope that we get to see more of him in the mix. Um, Even though I said earlier that he doesn't seem like the type of person to do his own dirty work, I do hope that we're seeing him sort of in the fight a little bit more. I want to, I want to know like what, what his end goal is with Thrawn. Like sure. Thrawn is a threat to him like militarily, but what is his end goal with that? And and I'd love to sort of get into his head a little bit more. And I I honestly think we are going to get that in the next book. Yeah, I'd like to see him orchestrate, like you said, the Thrawn being exiled. But I also want to see him like go back into the shadows and kind of come back up in some other way. This won't be the end of him. I want him to. I kind of want him to to hang around because he seems like he seems very cunning. He seems like he has a lot of people that, or he can make a lot of people work for him. Mm-hmm. So, um, man, what if the? No, that can't be it. <laughs> I was about to say, like, what if the, what if the, uh, um, the Grisk are like, I don't know, they're allies with, uh, with, oh God, what are the, what are the, the evil people from uh, the High Republic? The Drangir? The Nile. Oh, the Nile. The Nile. They have some kind of, they have some kind of relationship with the Nile, or did? Mm. There's something uh, there. We don't know. <clears throat> uh, that's nuts but yeah I'll, I'll go a little easier route I, I'm gonna agree with Jacob almost word for word what he just put in the chat I, th- I think the memory chapters are gonna be from Jixus's point of view in mm. Lesser Evil um, really kind of figure out why he hates the Chiss so much why like as a youth something happened I'm sure um, and then I think that all the time given to Hapleaf in this book will be given to Jixus properly in Lesser Evil I think we'll see him at the height mm. of his powers really going for it and I, I, that's what we've wanted. You know, that, that's how you create a trilogy, right? You, your big Voldemort didn't come back till the fifth book, you know, or fourth book. But, you know, and then, and then it's the Voldemort show. So I think it's things like that. And I'm really excited for him to do that. And I really want to know more about his past. I want to know why he's doing it. Even if it's not all of it, I need, I need something other than I need to defeat Thrawn. Because that's not the most exciting mm-hmm. thing. And I think Zahn at least at this point in his career with this trilogy, has proven he's a better writer than that. And like we've said since Chaos Rising, I think this is the story he's wanted to tell. So I think he's putting it all out there in Lesser Evil in the fall. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I I highly doubt that Thrawn's going to leave too many plot you know, threads untied. He, he's a pretty tidy writer. You know, yeah. He tends to, to wrap things up really well. And I will mention, though, uh, that Jixtus does say specifically, um, let's see, it was earlier, it was around page 400 or so, he says, um, let's see, some of his colleagues thought that Yiv was going to take care of the Chiss, but unfortunately he knew better. So I don't know that he's even necessarily like, I don't know, the king of the Grisk, like he kind of is working amidst the team and Wes, and for anyone that hasn't read some of those other Thrawn novels, we never get Jixtus by name in those books. That's and true. There are real-world reasons for that, right? He wasn't yeah, yeah. a created character yet. But, you know, mm. he could die. We don't know. And the Grisks just continue their 
their ploy to take over the entire galaxy. How deliciously evil. Absolutely. But that is all the questions that I have about the antagonist. I did want to give a quick shout-out to Caloria Buandalan, who's still kicking it, because I love that guy and his little cheek winglets. <laughs> right on, cheek but winglets. But we don't have time. Yeah. We don't have he's time. A great, he's a great character for the Mandalorian. Ooh, oh, yeah. yeah. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I love that guy. I really do. Played by like but Gilbert have... Godfrey or something weird. <laughs> oh man, what the Mandalorian! <laughs> <laughs> you wanna go to Alderaan? It's a it's rocks. That's all I got. <laughs> all right, well let's go ahead and move into the overarching questions. I want to know straight off the bat: How did Greater Good compare to Chaos Rising for y'all? Mm, I think I liked it more than, than Chaos Rising, which I didn't think was going to be possible, but um, I, I think it honestly has to do with just being more used to the just hierarchy and the families and things like that. I sort of got mm-hmm. a lot of that under my belt with uh, with Chaos Rising, so I think Greater Good was more enjoyable because of that, and also just sort of building on that mystery that was already being uh, established in Chaos Rising just made it more of a page-turner for me. Yeah, I totally agree. We're more familiar with the the hierarchy and the and the political structure, so it was kind of easier to read. You didn't have to keep flipping back to that like the fourth page to see what the hierarchy was. To see like, oh, this person's a the speaker. Like, how does that how does that hold I up still to the family? <laughs> uh, but there was, um, I mean, when they did like the they had a lot more battles, like like yeah. space battles in uh, in the first book. So, I mean, it. it Whenever they say like he, you know, he shot this way and then he kind of veered to starboard, I'm just like trying to think like which way is that? Yeah, what are vectors? And what are we doing here? <laughs> yeah, but they didn't have that that much in Greater Good and Greater Good kind of uh, it was. I, I thought it flowed a lot better than Chaos Rising did, but they're still both great books. Yeah, I I'll probably put Greater Good only slightly below Chaos Rising, only because again I love Chaos Rising and I think Greater Good is really really great as well. I think it's, it was very accessible, again, because of what Emin West said. We kind of got the, the pre-reading from the first book, so you kind of got what was going on. Mm. I think I liked uh, Thalius' journey in Chaos Rising a little more than, like, Lakinda and um, a few of the other things that tried to supplement it in Greater Good. But I still really enjoyed it. I thought it was a, a really nice sequel. And, again, going from the drop-off of Thrawn to Thrawn Alliances was kind of a whiplash of the neck, so it was nice not to have that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. Now, I actually I really like a lot of the political stuff, even though I don't fully understand it mm-hmm. in these books. I, I do enjoy it. I mean, like I, I like tracing family trees and stuff in Lord of the Rings lore and like that kind of stuff. Right. Like trying to figure out, wait, how is Aragorn the rightful king? Like, let me dig into this. <coughs> and so it, it sounds like some of y'all enjoy those aspects and some of y'all don't enjoy it as much. But we, we did get a lot of information still, new information about the Chiss family hierarchy in this novel. You know, we knew there were the ruling families, the nine ruling families, like the myth, like the Arizi, and the 40 great families. But now we know for a fact those numbers kind of fluctuated over time. For yeah. instance, the Zodlak family, mm-hmm. which was heavily featured in this novel, used to be one of the ruling families before they got demoted. And I'm curious, do you enjoy learning more about this type of thing, or does it just make your head spin? I, I like I it. I love it, Charles. I liked, <laughs> <laughs> I liked I liked hearing the background about how how 
I guess, how their actions are being affected from what had happened in the past. So it's not just because of recent events of why everybody's upset with each other or why the Zodlak aren't one of the run one of the nine ruling families they're just trying to get in. It's like, well, why did that happen? Like, oh, I used to be in the nine ruling families, but I got put in timeout. So, like, the background I really enjoy. I love the history in, in all books, not just, uh, not just Star yeah, Wars. Yeah, it's very much like, you're a Zodlak. You're one of the ruling families. I used to be. Like, <laughs> very much that vibe. Yeah, it's like a research. Like, you research, like, facts so you can have, be able to debate somebody on why something is the way it is. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that we learned more Chiss lore in this book because it shows that the first book wasn't just a huge info dump and that yeah. and that we're still building on oh, that nice. on that lore, uh, even though we didn't get as much as the first one, which is understandable. So, um yeah, give me more Chislore. I love it. Yeah, Chislore, yeah. the new album by Taylor Swift coming out twenty twenty two. And it, you know, it can it can get in the way or feel like it slows down the plot in some of these books. So I would genuinely, I would love like a coffee table reference book Ugh. of just like Chis history. Yeah. I love when you talk dirty with, like, on these family shows. trees and stuff like that. Yes. That would be that would be fun. <laughs> but. I want to talk a little bit about, for those of you who are familiar with Legends, that's right, I said Legends. If I say Legends one more time, Jared's going to pop up in the chat. Um, (laughs) For those of you who are familiar with Legends, I'm curious if you're enjoying how much of Zahn's Legends material he is managing to pull into canon. And just in case you're not familiar, I picked a few things to kind of pull out just to, to show you what I'm talking about. And so... First of all, the vast majority of Chiss culture has been consistent with what we saw in Legends, including the naming convention, family hierarchies, the expansionary defense fleet. Like, all of that is from the old material. We've also had some recurring characters, right, with Aralani and Thras, who's been brought up a couple of times now. But now we're adding in, like, full events from Legends, like, full events from these books, like Thrawn's defeating the Vagari using an unsanctioned attack, and then his appropriation of their interdiction field technology. Like, that's all, that's just outbound flight. That's just outbound flight. So shout out to Legends Look Back for bringing me up to speed on that. Um, And spoiler alert, even the overall story here seems to be somewhat mirroring legends because Thrawn learns in legends of an outside alien threat and then later works with Sidious or for Sidious rather to help defend the empire against it. Now in canon that that alien threat seems like it's the Grisks whereas in legends it was the Yuuzhan Vong but perhaps we're going to see Thrawn's story kind of play out exactly like it did in legends here in canon. What what do you guys think? Hearing all of that, knowing it came pretty much from legends, like does that excite you? Does that confuse you? Like, what do you think? As someone that hasn't really it. read many of these books, and the ones I have read, I don't really remember. I really like it. I enjoy it. I don't know how someone might feel if they were um, like really into the Thrawn Legends books. I don't know if they might think that it was. Um, a little bit too on the nose, but but I really like how we're connecting things between legends and canon, even though it's not the exact same story. We've still got a little bit of that uh, that connective tissue. Yeah, I mean, one good on Zahn as a writer. You wrote one story and got paid like Del Rey money, and then you wrote it again and got paid Disney money. So like, good <laughs> on you for getting that double check. 
But also, it's kind in a weird way. This kind of stuff is kind of what a lot of Legends fans are asking for, right? Like for in the in the grander scheme, like I'm in, at no point on this show do we say like Legends will become canon, like straight up. Uh, we love the new stuff, and there are some a lot of new things in this series. But a lot of Legends fans say like they want the deep lore to remain, like when Darth Bane got brought back in Clone Wars, like now. Thrawn stuff has got gets brought back like this is good story and that's kind of been at least Utini's point since the beginning like there's so much good stuff in Legends why not bring a bunch of it back if it works if it doesn't all right great right something new but if it already works yeah. and you got the guy that wrote it in the first place that still thinks hey I think I can still make this work and I would like to do that awesome what there's no downside zero Right. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it, it, it's it's not it's not linear either, right? So right. You can, it can expand. So this bringing on the information from Legends just it makes it the expanded universe even wider, right? So I mean, there's even more that you can throw into what what's already been put into canon. And I've only read I read the Thrawn the original Thrawn trilogy. Um, so I mean, geez, if they brought some of that into <laughs> into canon, they I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's it's a little bit uh, far-fetched, but yeah. it'd be nice. Maybe mention here or there. Jixtus is final lieutenant. Mara Jade. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm we'll kidding. See. No, no. I, I can't believe you said that now. For legal reasons, he's kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, well, we'll see about that. And those of you who don't know what we're talking about or you, you don't know what happened in the original Legends Thrawn trilogy, head on over to our sister podcast, Legends to Look Back. I'm sure they're happy to fill you in for that. And pick up the new Legends Essentials, Heir to the Empire, yes. on sale tomorrow, wherever books are sold. <laughs> Absolutely. But, y'all, we've, uh, we've covered a lot here already, but it's time to jump into some heavier material. You know, like mass suicide and whatnot that yeah! almost happened in this book, Woo! right? Yay, escapism. That's why I read these books, to get, <laughs> to get away from the terrible yeah. things that happen in our yeah! real lives. Um, now, one of the major plot points in this novel was that the Magus, matriarch of her entire planet, was ordering the mass suicide of her people once she believed that their planet had been lost. So first questions first. I mean, did that plot point surprise you to get something that dark and that heavy brought to the forefront of this book? Mm, for sure. Like when I read that, my eyes kind of like went, whoa, you know, it, it was shocking. You know, you don't really hear about stuff like that in Star Wars too much. And I think the main question that I had was, why would she want that for her people? And, and I think it made for an interesting plot point. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It frustrated me. It frustrated me that she wasn't, she wouldn't budge from her decision. And Thrawn and uh, and uh, and Thalius, they were, they gave good uh, arguments of not killing yourself. Mm-hmm. And she was just like, "No, I have to kill my people." <laughs> yeah, that's for you, Eric. Thank you. I'm like, I forgot how it went. I knew someone had to do it. Jacob's been waiting for that for weeks. <laughs> Uh, I want to go on the record here and say us at the Living Forest and Utini are firmly anti-mass suicide. Um, just to get that out, I think that's helpful. Yep. Um, yeah. But also, I don't think it did surprise me, only because I think mm. a lot of Star Wars literature lately is getting to these dark topics. I mean, we are dealing with people going through intense mental breakdowns. We've, I mean, the 
first victory's uh, prize anybody yeah right the first <laughs> star wars movie yeah, ever yeah, yeah. Like, in the first 20 minutes, the inciting incident is a mass genocide by a giant space laser. So, like, it's kind of... Mass death is un, is weirdly nothing new, but I thought it was handled very well, and I liked how listen, much... It, it, listen, if Leia, <laughs> if Leia had wanted a different target, a military target, she just had to name the system. That's <laughs> it, <it's> very... <laughs> Amazing. Well done. This is great. I don't, I'm going to sit back on this one. Um, yeah, but I also loved... More so than how it affected me, I loved seeing how much it affected Thrawn. Like, how just morally repulsed he was by the idea. And how he was, like, he worked so hard and broke so many military rules to stop this one thing. That, like, in military terms of loss of life, probably wouldn't have been that much, comparatively, to, like, a giant battle. But he was so intent on not letting this happen. And I thought that was a great storytelling point. Well, it, it was. It introduced this great conflict kind of in the background of everything else that was going on. And, um, you know, we know that the major, she didn't succeed in her plan, but that was mostly because of Thrawn. Like you're saying, Eric, he basically put her in, in like a stasis chamber. Right. And after he did that, there was a bit of a, de- a debate amongst the characters about whether or not that was actually the right thing to do. Actually, mid-Captain Simacro, uh, he talked to Thrawn and he said, her life is her business. It's certainly none of ours. To which Thrawn responded, I believe it is. All lives are important and I resist the thought of standing by and watching 200 possibly needless deaths. So I'm not going to lie. I wanted to bring this this point to the forefront after the discussion that I heard on Conja Book Club. Um, I was listening to to their episode with, that we had Cheryl feature on, and and they talked for a long time about this point. And some were thinking Thrawn did the right thing. Some people were thinking that he didn't. And um, and I'm curious, what are your thoughts? Did Thrawn do the right thing here? Man, uh, my gut says yes. You know, and not just because it's Thrawn, but because I th- I agree that the. I mean, mass suicide is such a God. This is a okay. This isn't the Victor's Price Roundtable, but we're getting close. This is an like, overarching question. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like it is. It is a thing that unfortunately is not new in the history of humanity, in the history of fiction, right? And like the idea that a single leader that believes in some sort of either religious context or like traditional context that requires that is not inherently like damning the religious belief or anything like that, but is damning the action and can easily just be made as a manipulation of people that don't know better. And I think Thrawn is like, okay, I can respect your culture and I can respect this belief, but also say that if your belief necessitates the death of 200 innocent people, then it is no longer a belief. It is essentially an an attack against innocence. And I think that yeah. that difference is hard. And I think he's clearly the only chist that would actually make it at this point. I think I think he did the right thing for for the other two hundred people or say for the followers. Mm-hmm. Try to get them to see a different point of view. The Magus the Magus just seems toxic to me and she may or may not I, what it seemed like is that she was not budging she was going to 
order the 200 plus to to kill themselves just so they can because of their beliefs but i i mean the followers i think they they may have been easily swoon over to that side to believe that way may or may not but then if they spoke with Thrawn or some other leader then they could have been persuaded to go back the other way right but the magus herself just seems toxic i mean she she probably she could probably just go <laughs> yeah no i agree with you guys i think <clears throat> Thrawn made the right decision although i can see both sides of the argument um mm -hmm. i think you know when samacra says her life is her business you know, I tend to agree with that, but he dragged mm -hmm. other people's, or sorry, she, the ma the magus, dragged other people's lives into her business, making it right. not her business anymore. And so I think that's kind of mm -hmm. where Thrawn was coming from, and that's why I tend to believe he did the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's kind of like you can trust people to have control over their own lives, but if your leader of, like, the magus's level of status says do this, you're gonna probably do it even if it's not what these innocent people want to do and you can't expect 200 people to individually assert their own want of life when the person that has essentially led their destiny their whole life is telling them to do something else yeah i totally yeah. agree and you all you put it really well A another character who put it really well in this book um was actually i think this was from thalius on page 179 and she says the Magus had ordered her companion to die. She'd taken that decision from him, that last final decision anyone could make. The aliens clearly considered that an acceptable thing to do. Thalius, coming from Chiss culture, didn't. But wasn't that exactly what she and Thrawn had done to the Magus herself? Hadn't they taken the, the right of decision away from her by forcibly sedating her and locking her into hibernation? From her point of view, hadn't they violated her rights? It was a troubling question. And so... You know, y'all brought that point up. You know, maybe they did violate her rights individually, but given that she was then going to extend her plan towards hundreds of others, then, you know, just from a utilitarian argument, it was the right thing to do. Um, I got to tell you, this really stuck out to me, and I don't want to go down this rabbit hole too much, but, you know, in medicine, uh, when people come to the emergency department and they, they say they're suicidal, that they're going to kill themselves. A lot of times these people are involuntarily committed to the hospital. So right. it's a it's a part of American culture, medical culture at least already, that it's actually an acceptable thing to do exactly what Thrawn did, even, even for the mages herself. And so mm. I'm not going to say whether that's right or wrong or, or to tell you that whatever you think about it is right or wrong, but you know, it really struck that chord in me to think about it in that scenario. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And just to, to, to round it out, Blind Fates makes a good point. It's, it's, it goes back to what we said about reflecting the times. Like, the idea of how much consent do you have over your own body versus at what point does that affect other people too much to the point where other rules have to be said. And it, and it, and it shifts. And I think that's kind of the mm -hmm. dark beauty of things like star Wars that we can talk about these issues and talk about things in a fantastical context, but there are probably a lot of readers and maybe some listeners here that are going through certain things like this or have family members or friends that are like that their actions for themselves are negatively affecting others. 
and maybe this story will at least start that conversation, like you're saying, Charles, will spark some kind of idea that maybe they didn't have before. Yeah, yeah, and it's it really is incredible that something like Star Wars that is just swashbuckling fun at times really can introduce these ideas to us to discuss in yeah. these moments. So um, I, I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah. But let's, well, let's I, 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 I don't have whiskey on this episode, so let's, let's see how deep <laughs> we go on this. My God. Well, well, let's move on from that. I don't want to spend too much time um, in the darkness, and as we know, <laughs> light will rise to meet it. And, and so yeah. let's talk about on. But I got, I got to, I got to stop you. Okay, yeah. How yeah. do you, how, how do you think, how do you think her partner uh, died? Remember? Yeah, he had a yeah. Partner, so, yeah. so he just had a partner with. Him, you're so. right. I didn't explain that well. It was in that quote. So sh- the mages brought one companion with her on Thrawn's ship, and he did kill himself at her yeah. command. Yep. Um, and, and so she was already harming other people, killing other mm-hmm. people, essentially. Um, how did he do it? I don't know. It's a great question. It felt like a popped yeah, his tooth know. off and bit a cyanide capsule cyanide kind of thing. Cyanide, baby. Yeah. Something like that. It's uh, a which we've seen things. in Star Wars. Yeah, yeah uh-huh. exactly. Because they said that the, the Chiss tried to reach him in time and couldn't. But yeah. I don't think they went right. into detail, right? It's gruesome. Maybe it was like a yeah. losing the will to live type of thing. Like... If the mage just says oh. it's 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 oh, time to go, one. it's time to go. <laughs> the old Padme time. Ooh, yeah, right. right. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. so let, light, let's talk light, about Lakinda on page two sixty one. She has this thought: Aralani was three years older than Thrawn, and she nice. knowed him at, at Taharam Academy. That's right. I'm bringing Aralani. <laughs> nice Thrawn. <laughs> Since that time, the two of them had worked together on a number of missions. So was it, in fact, Thrawn's tactical genius that Aralani had learned from? Or was it the other way around? Could Thrawn have simply adopted Aralani's methods and run with them? In that case, maybe he got all the attention because he was brash enough to go full bore into situations where Aralani's innate prudence suggested a slower approach. So I got to know, because I had to come up with something to ask you all about regarding Aralani. Whose playbook are we working out of? Is it Thrawn's or Aralani's? And in other words, between Thrawn and Aralani, who's the master and who's the apprentice? Yes. Okay. <laughs> they- this one definitely made me think. I was like, wow, that that's interesting because mm-hmm. Aralani has been in in her like military position longer than Thrawn, right? So she she's known and she's his senior. tactics and whatnot. Yeah, right. In rank. So and so she lays probably lays out the plans for people to so they know what they're to be doing throughout the battle and then yeah if Thrawn just like okay it's say give it a timeline like it's going to take us a week to get this done he's like nope i'm going to push forward and get it done in 4 days and then he gets he gets the recognition for it yep. right so he's the one that gets the but ultimately i think just from the first book from um from Chaos Rising, and I guess from uh, the first uh, canon Thrawn book, like you, you see that Thrawn is different from the other chiefs yeah. just by the way he thinks. So I, it's it's interesting to think that he would, yeah, he would expedite Arlani's plans to get the recognition. But I do think it's uh, Thrawn as the one that's the master behind it mm-hmm. all. Yeah, I, I tend to think. I tend to think maybe it, it's they're kind of working out of Arlani's playbook, but Thrawn sort of 
puts a creative spin on some of her plays, I guess you could say. And yeah. It, because okay. to me, I mean, to me, I think that Arlani has been a leader for a while and, and they work together on so many missions that, um, to use a Thrawn word, perhaps, uh, perhaps he's, <laughs> he's just learned all of that military stuff from her, but uses his sort of like creativity with the, you know, looking at art and things like that, um, to sort of make things faster and more efficient, perhaps, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. Mm, nice. Yeah. I like that. Like, like Arlani's the head coach and Thrawn's like the offensive yeah, coordinator. Yeah. He's like, but I also think there's a, that quote specifically reminds me of, a little bit of what we we kind of had mentioned a little bit in Thrawn before with the Chiss culture is kind of an inherent workplace sexism too mm. of like she comes up with all the ideas but she waits a little bit and has some patience and he's like let's do it and everyone's like oh Thrawn that was rad and she's like what the hell like I think that's a very deft kind of look at how especially militarily in other ways like men and women are perceived differently of like if you have patience and if you actually work all, do all the things out and do all the work, then you may not get the attention. But if you're brash and you take the initiative and do the thing that might not work and go a little crazy, that is kind of a more masculine, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, like you, you kind of go off a little too quickly. But then people are way more easily to reward you. So I think Zahn is, like, tapping into something a little real there. So I think at, at the core to answer your question, Charles, it is both of them. But from the outs- outside, because of the way Thrawn implements things, I think that to the general Chiss as a whole, he gets a lot more recognition there. Also, I uh, ship them forever. I love them. They need to go on more dates unless they're evil, or I will riot. <laughs> All right. More dates coming in unless they're evil. Maybe. Yes! Maybe. Confirmed. You heard it here first. It's on. It's on. Uh, we got this covered in Screen Rant, so it must be true. Yeah. <laughs> well... Let's move on here to uh, to Nyx. Just really quickly on page 175, I wanted to talk about this. This is the rarest known metal in the chaos, which was a vital component of the alloy used to create the incredible toughness of a warship's hull. And so this was this was the tantalizing thing that Hapliff and the Agbui and Jixtus were using to try to incite a Chiss civil war. And I'm Curious, do y'all think that Nyx is going to be important moving forward in any way, or was it just the MacGuffin for this novel? Mm, I, MacGuffin. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you, Eric. I think it's a MacGuffin. I, I think I think we're sort of led to believe that it's going to be this huge, important thing for the next book, but I think it's going to be something that we don't see coming. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I've never... I, yeah, I haven't heard of... I haven't heard of anything like Nyx... Uh, Either, say like in the, I don't know, in the Empire era, or is they just use, but they just use regular metal, right? They don't, they don't have a yeah, name Dura for it, do they? and all that stuff. Dura like, steel, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. yeah. I like, I like it being a cast MacGuffin too. I don't mind it. I think it works yeah. out fine. Like they gotta make their, it, it makes sense that that part of the universe would have different metals. So sure, sure, sure. Okay, MacGuffin all the way. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, and it leaves us more time if we move on quickly to talk about, again, the return of the Grisks. I, I have to bring this back in the overarching questions. It's going to make me leave this chair again, I swear to God. I know. I, know. <laughs> I wanted to bring you- this question up, okay? 
tell me this. Is there any chance that Jixtus is not a Grisk? Which I know sounds like a crazy question after everything that we've talked about, but I think Haplift does bring up a, a decently good point that obviously Thrawn planted. Is the term Grisk only a species? We know it is a species, but we also know, you know that the Grisks take control of other species and convince them to do their bidding, and then they refer to those people as their clients, quote-unquote. So when Jix is, is using terms like we and us, is he referring to the Grisk species, or might he be referring to a force of some sort? And, and the reason I bring it up is why the hood and veil and gloves and all that? Why, why would it matter if he was seen if no one knows what a Grisk is anyways? Okay, I just had this the thought. The drama. The drama? I just had a, like, okay. a really weird thought. So do it, it, do it. If, the, if he is referring, like when he's referring to us and we and all of that as peoples that he's conquered, and maybe he isn't a Grisk, what if it's like Thurfian? Like for real, with the hood and the veil, and we oh. know he's sketchy, right? Oh. I'm just saying. He does. Listen. In the audiobook, they both have very deep voice. Well, <laughs> Thurfian has a, his voice is a little higher, but Jixis' voice is super low. But they're both low voices. So, yeah. <laughs> Eric's less convinced. Yeah, while this is a fun thought experiment, if he's not a true Grisk, that's just bad writing and stupid. I don't know. I'm trying to like. I'm trying to like make it nice. I guess just only because like Zahn has built that up so much and had a great reveal of it. I think that the the hood is almost more for our benefit as readers of like the mystery because it's still a book, right? It's still like the mystery sure. of it. Um, yeah. But if it was more of like metaphorically a thing for a species that I guarantee you, not a single other writer will ever use in anything because they don't care. Someone, someone, cut that clip. For ten years in the future, Keep when grisks are brought back, when the higher public is full of Nile and grisks, um, yeah, no, I, th- I think that he has to be an authentic one, or else all the dramatic tension of this book's end and the beginning of the next one kind of evaporates, and I feel like that would just harm the momentum of the trilogy, and and it would make the third book have to do a lot more work. Yeah, because then the third yeah. book would have to introduce actually who he was, why he hid himself, why he went back and forth, and then the backstory memories would have to be messed up, and that would have to rev- like it would just it would make an already complex world un un need needlessly confusing. I think. I like where your head's at, Emma. I no, like yeah, plot twist. If it has to be <laughs> something, that's fun. <laughs> I will just there will be sixes in my score for the next one and not where you think. I mean, I could I could see your point, Eric, though, like if it's going to make the story even more complicated than a Thrawn story already is, I don't think I would want it. But, you know, yeah. you know, if, if it's if it's going to happen, I'm not going to complain, you know. Yeah, but Zahn loves his Grisk. It is his right. Kells orange soda. He loves Grisk. So I think he he wears the cloak because he doesn't want to be noticed by anybody else, right? So he can't be pointed out by yeah. uh, what's his phrase from New Wandalon? Yeah, right. <laughs> Lori. Lori. 
Like, he, he doesn't want to be brought down by Keylori of all Who people, does? so he yeah. has to wear this. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I honestly, yeah. I mean, he totally wears that cloak just so people don't know he's a Grisk. Um, but, yeah. you know, I think I think I thought for so long that um, Jixtus <laughs> was a Chiss, and now I'm like, he's not a Chiss, but there's still a possibility he's not a Grisk, so. <laughs> <laughs> Anything yeah. is possible. Right. Well, I'm I'm still trying to get past um, Eric's Keenan and Kel reference. This feels like we we are on a, a episode of Legends look back with these '90s references. But wow. all right, let's uh, let's talk about Jixus. A couple more things here. He has a quote on page 404 where he says, "My more immediate concern is the fact that you left Hapleaf's body behind for the Chiss to examine." And he's saying this to to Killori. So why is that a problem? Why is Jixtus upset that the Chiss are able to study an Agbui body? Ooh, interesting. Hmm. That's a really good question. I didn't hmm. think of that. Like, honestly, this quote just really passed over my head when I read it. Um, yeah. I mean, it's not like it's a Grisk, and then right. they figure out who the invading species is, right? So Yeah. Hmm. I don't know if we have an had answer ch- to it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Had the Chiss... I mean, they... They say that, or they sound like they have never met ooh, an Agbui. Ooh, 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 I got an idea. I got go ahead, an idea. Go ahead. So the, so the Agbui, they touch people, and they, like, get their vibes and stuff, right? What if they, like, save that as, like, a hard drive? And he has seen J- Jixtus, and he has known Jixtus and things, so maybe secrets are, like, hidden within the biochemistry of the Agbui after they die, and mm. you can, like, extract that. With with a probe, yeah, sure. Where's the probe? Go? I don't know. You take one of those like Echo. The, in one of the Echo has in his hand, he just go, Yeah, I know. Uh-huh. Echo just sticks his little like <laughs> screwdriver and goes, and then you have information. Like it's Star Wars. That's how it works, right? You just gotta go like, eh. yeah. <laughs> just just like the clip that I sent out today. Righty righty tighty lefty loosey turny oni. <laughs> <laughs> one of my proudest moments in all Star Wars. Man, it's so good. The t-shirt. Oh, <laughs> All right, so we don't we don't necessarily know what the problem was with with them leaving behind Hapleaf's body, but we do know earlier in the book, very early on, on page twenty one, Hapleaf says to Jix this. So once we've destroyed the Chiss for you, then we go home, and Jix this responds, then you go home. And so it, it's interesting because we know the Grisks don't just disappear i looked this up on the timeline on utini.com and uh, this story this book takes place in about 19 bby but we know that grisks are around as late as about one bby during the events of thrawn treason and you know the latest thing that we know in the timeline spoiler alert for thrawn treason i'm sorry wes is that (laughs) they were getting close to discovering one of the supply lines (laughs) for the death star Right. right, that's that was one of the plot points from Treason. Um, I I don't know. I mean, where is this going? We we know Grisks aren't involved super long term, or we don't think they are. I mean, my question is, why are we still trying to make Grisks happen? Just like the <laughs> meme that I sent to Eric after finishing this book. They're a big bad. That's that's not the Sith. And they're not the Empire. You know, I think that's what Th- Zahn is like. It it wouldn't make sense for a, a big bad we know to be in the chaos, right? Because then yeah. they would have... Wh- whatever, whatever, whatever. There's reasoning. So I think it's just trying to make a big bad worthy of a character like Thrawn. And 
it's not probably all going to be tied up in a bow to make sense as to like why why were the Eternals not in Avengers? Well, because the movie wasn't out yet. You know, like it's I think it might be one of those. But uh, yeah, like a, a formidable opponent. They yeah, have to, he has to have one. He can't just have some, you know, Joe Schmo off the street. There's nobody in Star Wars named Joe Schmo. I hope, but yet, no. yet a formidable opponent. Yeah, and, okay, and, be great. And the idea that there's always something out there that could encroach on the galaxy is a fun writer's conceit just to like leave hanging. That Zon's like, all right, here you go. I don't think anyone will use it, but there's a, there's an uh, outer galactic bad race of people that are super smart. That exist. Sure, sure. Okay. Well, let's let's move on from that. And the last overarching question I have for you has to do with nothing less than Star Flash. Guys, what was the the last part of this book where uh, we get the the senior aide or whoever for Thurfian, who's now the patriarch of the Myth family? He says, "I'm going to tell you about this terrible alien weapon called Star Flash." And I got to tell you guys, I laughed. I laughed when I read that line. I did. <laughs> um, it felt very, it felt very cheesy to me. I, I want to know what Star Flash is, but I was just like, "Ooh, Star Flash!" <laughs> like, what? <laughs> like what? What is that? Um, what were your thoughts on that line, and, and what do you think we might see? This is pure conjecture, obviously. Right. Man, yeah. I'm not gonna lie. I read that as Star Forge the first time, and I was like, "What?" Are we going back to KOTOR? Oh What's God. happening? Oh, my <laughs> God. I mean, it makes sense. They're both weapons, right? But um, right. Star Flash, like, I feel like that's going to be a, a super literal name. So I kind of wonder if maybe it's some sort of a weapon that, and again, like Charles said, this is just pure conjecture. Like, I wonder if it's a weapon that explodes a star like the like yeah. kind of like a like a mini death yeah. star but of course you know because we're in the chaos and we're sort of more isolated here word wouldn't get out to the regular part of the quote-unquote regular part of the galaxy um because obviously we we had never seen anything like the death star before maybe this is like a cousin of the death star that we had never heard mm-hmm. of before because of the isolation of the chaos yeah mm-hmm. or it they they could turn back around Force Awakens style and suck mm, the energy out yeah. of the star mm-hmm. and then use that to project onto other worlds. Oh, interesting. But then, like, Star Flash. Yeah. Um, sounds like, I mean, it sounds like a wrestling persona <laughs> to me, but, you know. I'm, I could see it. I'm a wrestling Look, nerd. as someone who, <laughs> as I've said on this show multiple times, I have not read a lot of Legends, and I'm not, I don't really go back and do my backlog as much as I should. This was the most Legends thing I could have ever thought of, yeah. and I actually really liked it. I was like, oh, I got, I got a little tickled. I'm like, oh, fun, because we don't get, like, Legends was filled with this super weapon, and then this, then this giant super weapon, and then this super weapon, as Corey says in the chat. It's always a super weapon. But it, honestly, it's been a while since we've had a, just a giant freaking super weapon, and I think it's kind of a fun classic twist of, like, all right, yeah. the Myth family knows the secrets of this giant, devastating super weapon. And that's kind of fun. And it is it is very Zahn. He is an old man writing Star Wars <laughs> for 30 years. And you know what? If he wants to do a big, giant super weapon to, to round out his, his like, 18th trilogy, I'm going to let him get a big, giant, stupid super weapon. And it, but in, like, in, like, a really cool, fun way. So, I, I, I think it's... It's going to be pretty straightforward 
as far as being just a big weapon that they got to find. And I think that's going to be fun because I don't think Thrawn deals with that a lot. It's a lot of logic and puzzles, but it's like Thrawn, you can't outthink just this giant laser that kills stars, you know? So that can be kind of fun. <laughs> I dug it. It was very classic. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I agree. If Zon can get away with whatever he wants, if he can get away with having that same picture of him in a black turtleneck <laughs> in the back of all of his books, he can get away yeah, with Star What a hero. So. What a legend. If you can rock the glamour shots pose in the back of your books every time, then you're all yes. for it. Yes. <laughs> all right, y'all. Well, we got to move on. Let's run through some Easter eggs, some Best connected time. tissue, some random thoughts, and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, we'll be quick. So on page 80, a whisker cub is mentioned, and this is a creature that was first mentioned in Chaos Rising by Simacro, who was calling the Liaoan regime a whisker cub compared to the mighty Chiss Ascendancy, which he compared to a night hunter. So it's some sort of animal that everyone knows about in the chaos we've never seen one physically but we've had it mentioned now in both books so maybe we'll see one eventually great on page 140 we get the quote from thrawn the odds are never impossible merely unfavorable in other words (laughs) never tell him the odds great line (laughs) on page 170 again we get the reference to the artificial gravity well generator that thrawn took from the vigari that quote, can pull a ship out of hyperspace as if, as if it had run close to a stellar or planetary mass. And so that's the same technology the Vagari were known to use in Legends, like I brought up earlier, not to be confused with their tactic of placing innocent civilians trapped in transparisteel on the outside of their ships to discourage their enemies from firing on them. Because that's just terrible. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, yes, that's a real what thing. What book is that from? Uh, I think that's also an outbound flight. But uh, okay. go, go talk to our... Yeah, go talk to our Legends Look Back uh, <laughs> friends about that. On page 194, after Lakchip calls Lakfro by his full name, his full chiss name, we get this quote. Lakfro stared at her, feeling like he'd been punched in the stomach. No one on Selwis used anyone's full name after they'd first been introduced. Not unless the circumstances were official, legal, or extraordinary. And so the Chiss are kind of like Earth Mothers, right? If they use your full name, you are in trouble. You are in some bad <laughs> Or dinner's ready. Which you- <laughs> <laughs> or dinner's ready. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> uh, in Memories 5, Hapliff is talking about Jixtus's navigators, and he says he didn't know what part of the chaos these so-called attendants, capital A, came from he'd never seen anyone like them except the pair in jixtus's personal service but they were clearly from someplace far away their purple robes and eerie eye lenses were as unsettling as their perpetual silence and so that is a really fun callback the attendants are are basically alien navigators that operated out of the unknown regions and we've seen them on screen actually once before in the last jedi in the background of snoke's throne room Right, That's they're so the people cool. in the back wow. right corner in Snoke's throne room who help him navigate his ship. That's amazing. Um, and so there are ties then back to Snoke and back to Palpatine and all of that stuff. That's so cool. awesome. Oh, that is awesome. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. And, and so this is uh, the second time that we have seen them in canon outside of the Last Jedi, uh, with the first being a reference to them back in Thrawn Treason. So Zahn is is on uh, on this whole attendance train. I think that's pretty cool. Sweet. Perfect attendance. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> on page 226, Lagfro is speaking to his cousin, and he says, 
If I ship it standard parcel, the schedule says it should reach Naparar in six to eight days. Or you could send it express. Have you checked those rates lately? Point. Lackpool Pup conceded. So first of all, what the hell are we talking about? <laughs> and second of all, it sounds like USPS in space is just yeah, as yes. bad as on Earth. So they may it's have light sounds- speed, but we have Amazon Prime. Oh it sounds it. like the postal service screwed Zon in some way, and he had to he had to yep. shoehorn it yeah. in there so somewhere. That he had some day. packages lost in quarantine. I yeah. think he was writing that package. He's like, "Well, I'll show them." <laughs> All right, on page two thirty eight, Wu True says, "I'll be damned, Admiral. It's a moon," and that's the antithesis of Obi Wan's famous "That's no moon" line in a new <laughs> Obi Wan's in every book. Yes, you know I had to bring it back to him somehow. Yeah, baby. On page 254, Aralani and the unknown alien captain are talking, and uh, Aralani says, Interesting preliminaries. So, now that I know how to destroy you, shall we return to our respective people and deliver our reports? Your statement lacks accuracy, the alien commander said scornfully, for it is I who knows how to destroy you. (laughs) (laughs) And and this just, it felt like the Battle of Wits from Princess Bride. Uh, to me with Mazzini when he's like a clever man would put the poison into his own goblet because he would know only a great fool would reach for what yes! he's getting. Like blah, yes! blah, blah. Oh my God. It was so, so cheesy. But at the same time, so legends, Zahn. It's just, it's yeah. just fun. Bless him. Um, on page 275, we get this quote. There are aliens particularly suited to underground mining. For instance, short and stocky with lower oxygen requirements, and the ability to see in low-light settings. So, Ugnaughts, perhaps? Is that yeah, what we're talking that's about? How, that's what yeah, I yeah, picture. Yeah. That would be. I, was I like that. Page 277, we get this quote, the loose skin on Hapliff's face piled itself into a bunch. And that's not a reference. That's just really gross. And I, I, <laughs> I suffered through it once and wanted to make everyone suffer through it again. That's pretty the horrible. <laughs> Um, page 309 Thrawn says come now captain everyone in the near reaches of the chaos has legends of the chiss so that may be a small wink from Zahn regarding all the legends material regarding the chiss that he's pulling in or it's just a really awesome line that might be uh, up for a Utini award this year we'll see I am am firmly of the opinion that no author or TV writer uses the word legends without knowing that's exactly what they're doing yeah yeah, I, ah. I every time. It's never a mistake yeah. or it's never an accident. Yeah, it's too yeah. specific. <laughs> now, on page 361, Thrawn and Lakinda are talking and Thrawn says, I agree, a coordinated operation exquisitely planned and timed. Never mind the artistic beauty of it all, Lakinda snarled. We need to send a warning to Scylla right away. And so leave it to Thrawn to note that something was so artistically done, right? <laughs> oh, <laughs> Yeah, nice another yep. callback to Legends. Nice, yeah. Now, finally, on page 400, we get this quote, a paradox atop a riddle atop a mystery. And I'm choosing to believe that that was on breaking the fourth wall and conceding that these books are just incredibly complicated. <laughs> that's, that's what I think about I'm all of his riddle. novels. They're a He's paradox like, atop a riddle atop a mystery. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> so, so that's all that I have for this book. Not a ton of Easter eggs. Um, because a lot of this, again, is, is new. This is Zahn in his own sandbox, even though he is pulling in a lot of that Legends material that he's created before. So, y'all, that's it. That's all I have. Let's go back around. Give it a 1 to 10 rating. Tell me 
any final thoughts you have, why your rating changed, if it changed, and uh, and then we'll take it home. So, Emma, I think you started us off the first time around. Let's hear how you would rate the book now. All right. So I think the first time I gave it an 8.4. I could be totally wrong, though. <laughs> it feels like it's been a year ago. Um, but I'm yeah. going to up that to an 8.8. Uh, I think talking about Talking about books and, and comics on roundtables always make me increase my opinion of them. It never fails to be the case. Um, and, and I just really appreciate the characters specifically after talking about it. Um, talking about the, the just politics and machinations and also really appreciating the villains. I, I don't think I appreciated them enough mm-hmm. the first time around. And now that we've talked about them, um, I think it's it's really brought to light some really cool things. And kind of makes me want to read it again and read the other canon thrawn uh trilogy again as well so really good uh really good stuff zon never fails to disappoint i i really enjoyed it so 8.8 from me all right all right wes what do you think yeah i don't i don't think i've done one of these where i haven't increased my score after having the round table (laughs) uh like you said emma um i I think I was at an 8.6 or an 8.7. I'm going to bump it to a, to an 8.9. Um, again, because we got the groundwork from Chaos Rising, this book was way more enjoyable to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it does make me want to go back and listen to Chaos Rising again so I can get a better, a better foundation of everything that happened in that book, um, not just the political aspects, but also like the battles and, and Yiv the benevol- Benevolent. Mm-hmm. Um, but the like trying to break the Chiss Tennessee from within is one of the the plot points that I, I really loved the that I enjoyed reading and listening to. So um, yeah, eight point nine. I'm gonna give. I'm gonna bump it up from my original score. Okay, two good scores, Eric. What do you got? All right. I think if I remember correctly, I did an eight point seven five. I think that sounds familiar. <laughs> Off you. Um. <laughs> So I think I'll I'll I'll, I'll join the crowd. I'll I'll do an eight point eight five. So I'll be right in the middle of the two. Uh, yeah, I think this was a great book. I talking about it again made me really enjoy how much Zon built. And as we talk about it more, it really really makes me excited for Lesser Evil. I think that with these books, I always you know I I start it and it takes me about two and a half weeks to read the first third, and then I get into it and then I fly. And I That's think so true. based on how lesser evil is being built up by the end of this book with Jix is finally being revealed with the civil war almost happening with with the star flag. Like we have so much momentum now. And this conversation reminds me of that, that I'm so excited about having that come out. So 8.85, I'll, I'll give us our exact average of these. Uh, Charles, what about you? Yeah. So I know I, I lowballed this book the first time around. I think i gave it a 6.9 yes which you did. is my lowest score i've ever given anything now i agree with y'all i'm always going to raise my score but not much i'm going to raise this to a 7.0 um i know I, i'm rating it a lot lower than y'all and it it's Gotta not that they're not very enjoyable parts of this trilogy again i really like the lacfro stuff i really mm-hmm. enjoyed hapliff as mm-hmm. a villain um my biggest issue is that a lot happened in this book and I feel like very few plot points are actually being carried into lesser evil. Sure. And so it felt like a lot of convoluted, let me try to figure this out, think through this, with a lot of payoff that's going to come in another book. 
You know what I mean? So that's kind of where I'm coming at it from. Still love Thrawn. Still will read anything that Timothy Zahn puts out in a heartbeat. Uh, but that's kind of where I fall. I think Lesser Evil is going to be amazing, though. I think I might be rating that a lot higher. <laughs> um, but with all that said, y'all, that's that's going to wrap up another roundtable, another one for the books. So, Eric, God, take us home, it. good buddy. Yeah. So, again, another just – I know we say this. We try to say this on every roundtable. Oh, giant round of applause to Charles for coming up with all these – all these just by yourself, dude. It's incredible work. It's great conversation. I hope you all enjoyed it. I hope that this makes you want to go back and reread stuff or get you excited for Lesser Evil. As a reminder, looking ahead on the Living Force, our next roundtable will be The Rising Storm, which isn't even out yet. So you got a while, which means that we got some. <laughs> which, so, Charles, we got a bit, buddy. Um, Thank you. So the next one. Breathe. <laughs> uh, that does come out in two weeks from, t- from tomorrow, I believe. So make sure you get your pre-orders in on that. And coming up, we're going to have a lot more uh, kind of like, I say fun episodes. That makes these sound like they're not fun. But less like regimented episodes of The Living Force. I believe on the calendar next week, we're going to have another draft night. So be sure to tune in for that. Um, I won't say what it is just yet. Mostly because I want to solidify it. But should be a great episode at our no- normal time. So if some of y'all skip the episode, you're not listening to this now so i don't know just know that we'll be happy to have you back a quick thank you to emma for coming on both parts of this round table in addition to all the plethora of podcasts that you did in the past week your work is amazing and again remember to check emma every wednesday night on the cosmic force Emma, can you tell the good people what they're going to see you guys do this wednesday Yes, yeah, so this Wednesday we are going to be talking about the High Republic in comics. There was a, a great segment in the High Republic show that came out recently, uh, kind of an interview with Ario Anandito and some of the other people on the comics team, so we're going to be discussing that. We're also going to be talking about some of our favorite High Republic comics art, and uh, it's going to be a great time, so definitely join us. And really quickly, before I toss it back to you, Eric, thank you guys for having me on. Uh, this was really enjoyable for me, and and uh, I always love hanging out with you guys, so so thanks for having me. You're very MVP. welcome. MVP. MVP. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, you did a great. Yeah, for real. Uh, that You've done the, the horrible thing at Eugenie. You've proven that you're very good at something, so now you have to do it all the time. <laughs> Yeah, you you came on and your video and audio worked perfectly. Yes. That's so it. You are welcome back. That's all I counts, right? <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you to Emma. Thank you, Charles. And Wes, you did a damn good job, too. Look at you. Hey, look at us. Yeah, look at we me. We did go. it. Look at me go. <laughs> We're growing. All right, folks. Have a great rest of your week because that, my friends, will do it for this week's episode of The Living Force. If you already support us on Patreon, thank you for that. We hope you're enjoying everything on there. Get ready for our Patreon event later this month. And a special thank you goes out to Cheryl Bell, Patrick Ortiz, and Carl Sander on our Jedi High Council, and Elizabeth Cloutier, Jason Mitchell, Freddie C., and Sally and Chris Eilerson in our Alliance High Command. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at Eric Eilerson. Charles is at C. Hankel. Wes is at Boss West. Emma is at Irma Jedi 26. And Corey, on Night Shift, is at Doc Star Wars MD. A special thank you to Matt Davenport, our amazing editor, Ryan, our graphic designer extraordinaire, and Wes, our producer and community manager. Thank you to Charles, Wes, and Emma for podcasting with me tonight. Thank you to all of you in the chat for hanging out. And as always, may the Force be with you. There is no hatred. There is joy. There is no division. There is union. 
There is no apathy. There is passion. There is no gatekeeping. There is community. This is the Utini Star Wars Fan Code. Embrace it, live by it, and above all, trust in the living force. Join the Utini community and surround yourself with like-minded fans at utini.com. And remember, the force will be with you, always.